welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. And in this episode, I am going to explore the history of Malcolm X and his formative years in Michigan. So come along and join me. Now, one of the Michigan websites is called michiganology.org. And there's a lot of great stories on here covering the history of different aspects of Michigan. And there's an article written by a librarian by the name of Nicole Garrett Smeltkoff. And she is the Special Materials Catalog Librarian on this website. And she has this great article on the history of Malcolm X and his formative years here in Michigan. I'm going to begin with a quote from Malcolm X that really ties in with the importance of studying history. And he said, It is so important for you and me to spend time today learning something about the past so that we can better understand the present, analyze it, and then do something about it. Malcolm X. Now, Malcolm X was born in 1925 in Omaha, Nebraska, and he would later live in the Lansing vicinity from 1928 to 1940. But we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, And that is his Michigan connection. But he was born in Omaha, Nebraska, and his name was Malcolm Little. He was the fourth child of Earl and Louise Little, Earl Little was a self-proclaimed Baptist minister, and he ardently spoke about civil rights. And like many African Americans at that time, the Littles followed the teachings of Marcus Garvey. Now, Garvey was the one who started the Garveyism movement, as it was known, and it taught that American society would never accept African-Americans as equals. Therefore, African-Americans should establish their own country in Africa. And that was the philosophy of Garveyism. Now, although the movement had hundreds of chapters worldwide, followers faced opposition and often had violent retaliation from the established white society. While Mrs. Little was pregnant with Malcolm, the local Omaha Ku Klux Klan threatened the family. The Klan stormed their home because Earl was spreading trouble among the Negroes. Now, this is 1925 period in Omaha, Nebraska. Because of this attack, Earl Little relocated his family first to Milwaukee in 1926, and then he moved to Lansing, Michigan in 1928. And in Lansing, he bought a house in a white neighborhood of Westmont in the Lansing area, located near the intersection of Grand River Avenue and Waverly Road. And to earn money, he preached at the local Baptist churches and continued recruiting followers for the Garvey movement. Now, as in Omaha, Earl Little's reputation again, spread as being a troublemaker among the African-American community. They referred to him as an uppity Negro. This is according to this article. 
He disturbed the status quo by refusing to move to the black area of town. And the land company that owned the Westmont subdivision took Earl Little to court in 1929. Now, the company argued that because the land contract stated only Caucasians could live there, Earl was in breach of contract. The court ruled that Earl Little could own property in the subdivision, but could not have a home there. Therefore, he and his family had to vacate the home. Now, before the eviction took place, the Little's house burned down. The Lansing State Journal reported that the police held Earl Little on arson charges, which were later dropped. The family always believed that a white supremacist group connected with the KKK, known as the Black Legion, was responsible for the burning of the house. From there, Earl Little moved his family to an address on Charles Street near the border of East Lansing. And the family stayed there from 1929 to 1930. However, they decided that the racially segregated situation in East Lansing was too stressful. So in late 1930, Earl Little built a house two miles out of town on Logan Street, which is now MLK Avenue, and Malcolm Little enrolled at the Pleasant Grove Elementary School in January of 1931 after moving into the home. Now, tragedy struck the family in September of 1931. On September 28, 1931, a streetcar hit Earl Little, killing him. The authorities ruled it as a suicide, but Malcolm and his family always held that the Black Legion was responsible. Because Earl Little's death certificate declared that his death was a suicide, Louise Little could not collect any insurance money on him. So the family fell into financial hardship. Malcolm's two oldest siblings quit school, and along with their mother, they all took odd jobs in an attempt to support the family. Despite the family's best efforts, they eventually went on welfare. Even with odd jobs and a welfare check, Louise Little struggled to feed and clothe her eight children. That must have been a very hard time for that family growing up. You know, not only with the economic conditions, but the, uh, the stress of losing the breadwinner of the family, as well as the uh, difficult period in the history of the United States where this segregation was going on and racism was dividing the people. So by 1934, Malcolm began to get into trouble, both at school and at home. He regularly went downtown and stole treats, mostly apples and trinkets. And he was caught for more of these offenses. And as this happened, the welfare board continually brought him up as an example of Louise's Little's parental incompetence. The stress of their impoverished situation eventually began wearing on Malcolm's mother. And in 1939, Louise Little was declared legally insane and formally committed to the Kalamazoo State Hospital. 
the two eldest siblings of uh, the little family were able to stay in the family home, but the younger children were divided between neighbors and friends. Malcolm moved in with the Gehovah's family, who lived in Lansing, and they were on William Street. And this is in the location of where the General River General Motors plant now stands. And he enjoyed his time there, but missed living with his brothers and sisters. And since they were all in Lansing, they visited each other often. However, the strain of his family's situation still haunted Malcolm. He misbehaved in school one too many times, and he was expelled at the age of 13 from West Junior High School. After this offense, the state intervened and sent Malcolm to a detention home in nearby Mason. Uh, Now, Mason is just a little bit southeast of Lansing, and it is still in Ingham County. Now, originally, the authorities sent Malcolm to a reform school, but when the day came for his departure, the family that was in charge of him at the detention home refused to make him leave. So I guess they had grown fond of him and they didn't want him to go. So they accepted Malcolm into their family and in 1939, they decided to enroll him at Mason High School. So Malcolm excelled in school and he was elected president of his seventh grade class. He played basketball on the school team and traveled to other predominantly white towns, such as Howell and Charlotte. Although he faced racist attitudes in these areas from time to time, Malcolm stated that it didn't bother him very much, and he felt accepted in Mason. Albeit, as a black person, he did not feel he was on equal terms as the white children were. In the last semester of his eighth grade year, Malcolm experienced what he called the first major turning point in his life. He recalled this in his autobiography. An English teacher, whom he always admired and had asked Malcolm what he wanted to be when he grew up. And Malcolm responded, a lawyer. And the teacher took him aside and told him to be realistic. As a black child, that was an unattainable dream. And he suggested carpentry for Malcolm instead, since he did well in woodshop and was well-liked by his white peers in that class. After that experience, Malcolm became more withdrawn in school. Imagine that. Quite a betrayal on the individual uh, of a young child wanting to pursue a dream and being told that he couldn't do that. That's, uh, That's just terrible. But he finished the eighth grade. And he dropped out that year, and then he moved to Boston with his half-sister and only came back to the mid-Michigan area to visit his family and friends. Now, Malcolm went on to become an outspoken leader of the 1960s civil rights movement. His ardent message of, by any means necessary, resonated with much of the African-American community and made him into one of the most revered, as well as a controversial civil rights leader during his time. So I thought that was kind of an interesting story to go over his connection and his time here in Michigan. A lot of people, when they're studying the life of Malcolm X, they often focus on his time in Boston and in New York, where he was an active leader in the Nation of Islam and a spokesman for the Nation of Islam. 
and an vocal advocate for black empowerment and his promotion of Islam in the black community during that time period. But his early years, he was here in Michigan as a young man growing up, going through elementary school. But he was definitely on his own a lot as a young man, his father being killed while he was still young and his mother being committed certainly didn't make uh, his adolescence very easy growing up in foster homes. And of course, his story was portrayed by Denzel Washington in the 1992 motion picture, Malcolm X. He was also portrayed by James Earl Jones in the 1977 film, The Greatest, which was about Muhammad Ali. And he was a good friend of Muhammad Ali. There was other films uh, put out and a lot of other productions about Malcolm X. And of course, there is the autobiography of Malcolm X that he began writing before he was assassinated in 1965, which a lot of the information about his early life here in Michigan was taken from as a source reference. So that's going to conclude today's journey through the story of Malcolm X and his formative years here in Michigan. And I carried this story because uh, Ingham County is part of the Southwest Michigan counties that were originally formed around the same time. And I like to include stories of Lansing now and then. And I hadn't had one specifically on Mason So this kind of ties in a story of interest for Lansing and Mason. And it also ties in with the early formation of the civil rights movement and gives you an insight onto what life was during that period pre-World War II here in Michigan. And a lot of things changed after World War II, moving in the direction of the civil rights movement. And then, of course, after 1965 and in the 60s with a lot of the changes in the laws that ended that sad and tragic chapter in American history. And that's going to conclude today's episode. I will put the link to this article from michiganology.org in the description notes of this episode if you want to check it out for yourself. And if you'd like to reach out to me, you can find me at michaeldelaware.com. I'm always happy to hear from my listeners. And until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and explore even more fascinating tales of Southwest Michigan's past, thank you for listening.